Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Just one more sleep, people. Tomorrow night, England face Austria at Old Trafford in the curtain raiser for the Euros. We're here to preview that and bring all the latest news in the build-up. So let's go. One more sleep, guys. It's like Christmas. Um, I feel exhausted already, just like Christmas when you've been to so many parties with people that you don't really care about, but you have to have small talk with. Um, Not you guys. Obviously, I love you guys. Quite the Grinch. Um, um, (laughs) This gives us a real insight into your Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) We've waited so long for this, and it's finally here. I can't believe it. It doesn't even feel real. I mean, I'm sat in a, in a hotel room in Old Trafford and um, I'm looking out Beautiful. the window and I can see the stadium and it's, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's fucking grey. But, um, you know, I just feel so bloody excited. I feel like a, a sort of caged lion just waiting, just waiting to go and see those lionesses. Yeah, take that. Take that metaphor. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. I need to have mm. a similar, uh, similar vigour. Um, woo, Euros <laughs> tomorrow. I'm not all exhausted. Say it's coming home. Go on. <laughs> not this again. We're not doing this again. Okay, fine. Fine, sorry. We've already swore early on, so So Chloe, you're in you're in Manchester. You've been on a, a hike uh, with some England legends. Um Yes. I, did, I didn't I didn't know you were walking from London to the game, but that's definitely <laughs> ambitious. <laughs> the things I do for the opening historic match at Old Trafford. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. Um, uh, it, the, the, you know, it's, it's endless. Um, yeah, so I went on a walk yesterday with Carol Thomas, who is the first England women's Euro captain. Um, and the walk took us from Crewe, where the match took place. Um, and the walk, I think it's 40 miles, but thankfully I was only doing 10 of those. Um, oh, wow. And I was puffed after that. And uh, yeah, Carol was doing the entire 40 miles, um, walking up to, to Old Trafford, wow. where she's going to go and watch the game and um, yeah, see what, see what she's created, her legacy. Is she is That's she a cool. rambler at heart? You know, does she have experience doing these sorts of things? She loves a walk. I mean, it was highly embarrassing. I mean, Carol was <laughs> at least you know half a mile in front at all times, and I was <laughs> puffing away at the back, sort of having a look at the cows and like how much green space there was. Um, yeah, I mean, as a Londoner, you just don't see that kind of. Um, it can be distracting. And <laughs> it was. It really was. It, I, I, you know, I felt like skipping for half the journey, and then I felt very <laughs> tired, and um, I started to slow down, and it became very. Uh, yeah, it was a bit tragic for a for a player. Um, <laughs> to be that far behind the pack. 
Rachel, where are you? You're still at home at this point, but you are getting in a van imminently. And I don't mean that in a weird, dodgy way. <laughs> you, will so be, you will be driving the van imminently. There's a man in a van outside waiting <laughs> outside for me. Outside your door. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll be driving a branded van, a fan van with Sophie up and down the country, game a day, um, bringing content and fun across ours and 90 Min's channels. So it's going to be wild. Haven't actually driven it yet. So we're setting off for Manchester right after we record this. And will there be fans in the van? I'm thinking kind of, you know, child snatcher vibes, but not in a terrifying way. You know, driving the van around, you know, getting fans in to have a chat about their team, maybe sing us some chants, maybe play some games. Um, And we've also got a few bits that we can like take on the road with us. So we'll be very noticeable. The van is branded. You cannot miss us. Um, And we just want to want to see people. What's the van's name? Did you uh, did you settle on this? Oh. <sighs> it hasn't been announced yet. It was put in a group chat. You will think this was my idea, and it wasn't. But they want to call it Fanny McVanny. <laughs> Stop yes. it. Strong. Stop it. I'm buying so, it. For yeah. the Women's so, Euros, we can't have that. We can't no. have that for the Women's Euros. No Apparently. way. Apparently. Don't have, are they gonna I have to do with it. Are there going to be snacks in the van? Like tea, biscuits... I mean, you can BYO snacks. Like, I don't have a. You drive around the country. A... I need some snacks. Like, you're not, the, you're the not the one driving around the country. I'm doing the driving, so I think people yeah, should bring us snacks. You've offered some lifts. If I get a lift, I'll have some snacks. Can you sleep? Well, Are you sleeping different. in the van, or just? I am not sleeping in the van. That would be an awful time. Um, it's not. It's got seats in the background and beds. So, okay. seats for lifts. If you have a lift, you can give us some content and some snacks. And uh, wow. yeah. Okay, We're well, open for business. Mm-hmm. If you see Rachel in the van, make sure you get some biscuits because that's how you gain entry. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we need to get onto the football. Um, we we've do. done our we've done our admin logistics chat because the football is actually about to start. Actually, about to start after all this time, after all this wait. So much chat about stadiums, about locations, about ticket sales, about squad, about everything. And we can finally actually watch some football tomorrow. Um, England finished off their set of warm-up games with another emphatic, confident, hype-inducing, over-excitement, chasing win. But now the dust has settled off that. Rachel, you were in Zurich as well. Uh, are Are the excitement levels still like maximum peak levels of hysteria? With me or uh, with the England no, squad? No, no, not you personally, <laughs> but in terms of the expectations around this team now that we're actually going to see them play a, a Euros game and we've waited so long for Yeah, it. I think, yes, I think they are. I think um, Switzerland game probably wasn't the best game I've seen them play. I'm all right with that. I kind of expect this kind of stuff from friendlies before major tournaments. I don't expect them to be playing their absolute best football for 90 minutes, three games in a row. Um, I kind of want to see them struggle a little bit in those games and I think they did especially in the first half against Switzerland Um, there were no holes in that defence for the first half anyway but I think there's plenty of learnings from those three those three uh, friendlies which I think is key and I think the calibre of teams they played before a major tournament was really good as well so yeah I think there's lots of positives they won all the games they faced different challenges Um, I think a lot of players got minutes um, and I think Serena has probably learned plenty from the games, which is what you want. So 
I'm excited. Um, I'm intrigued to see squad selection. I know Leah Williamson, for example, getting dropped into defence again. Sky News were kind of saying that they'd spoken to Serena Vigman before the match and she'd impl- implied that Leah wasn't hugely comfortable in the midfield position, um, which was interesting because I think she does offer something different when she plays there. So seeing what team line out tomorrow, I think will be really interesting and just, just to get going, really. Yeah, no, I've got to agree with that. I think, um, and especially, you know, I saw the uh, the massive uh, campaign that, that Nike put out yesterday. Obviously, we've seen the, the athletes all appearing in, in Nike Town and, and that was incredible, that the kind of hype and buzz in and around London and, you know, all those massive um, light displays that were being headed up in and around all the monuments and Batsy Power Station and Tower Bridge. And, you know, that's incredible for, from Nike. The activation, I think, on, you know, creating that hype, creating that buzz, getting everyone excited about the games is, is palpable. And, you know, even yesterday sort of being on that walk and you know everyone all the crew knew what was going on and and they were excited and they were going to the games and it, and it just feels like this massive momentum momentous occasion is happening um tomorrow and um yeah it does feel like christmas but i've got to agree with what, what rachel was saying i think you know in the lead up to the, the three games you couldn't have had a better um set of challenges in in sort of creating you know various different game scenarios you know coming from behind you know being against robust defenses that frustrate you and, and maybe you don't get the goals until later on in the game and those have all been challenges that, that England have, have risen to so far. So I think that, to me, says that that's a bit of a, a, a different England than we've seen in previous campaigns because we wouldn't have maybe overcome some of those challenges. So I, I do feel that this is the strongest squad we've got. And, and I think that's why the excitement's there, because actually there is a real feeling that, that this could be our year. Yeah, let's get into a bit of the, the selection dilemma Rachel kind of hinted at, because... I always think it's it's an interesting one when a manager picks a captain who isn't the best central defender option, really. I think, personally, and lots of people might disagree with me, but I do think that Bright and Greenwood is the best combination because you've obviously got a naturally left-sided player playing at left centre-back, and it's very rare that you get that, and I think Bright plays better as a result. I think it's better than... Brighton Williamson but they're still a good combination right so it's interesting when you pick Williamson as your captain and you're thinking well she's probably not the best central defender right but we want to fit her in the team somehow because more often than not you're going to want your captain playing she's also very good and then it's right okay well then if we do if we do play her as a defensive midfielder then we're gonna have to play her and Kira Walsh which could be a little bit too negative a little bit too risk averse and in a game like Austria you want to get up and running with a bang and you've beaten them in qualifying. Although it was a tough game, but we've spoken before about it being basically because of the storm. Um, it's, 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 it's a hard one for Serena Vimmin Rachel because she's trying to kind of second guess herself almost. Like, do I go with this 4-2-3-1, which has been really good in warm-ups, but is a little bit more kind of less exciting and attacking? Or... Do I kick things off with a bang and go with a 4-3-3 or something like that? I think we'll see different types of football from Vigman's squad. I don't think she'll necessarily play, you know, 4-3-3 throughout the tournament. I think what we've seen from her is she very much, like all managers, she'll pick her tactics based on the challenge in front of her. But there are managers who will have a particular style of football and stick to it. What I like about her is she'll say, okay, this is the challenge. We do need to be more attacking in this game. Let's play 4-3-3. Sometimes when they're playing the more you know difficult teams and they need to be a little bit more robust, they have that 4-2-3-1 option. And I think the fact that we've seen both of those in the friendlies and in the Arnold Clark Cup, you know, the team need to be used to being able to switch between those two options. So I think 
we may see 4-3-3 against Austria because they want to get goals they want to start the front foot um, and I think that will be reflected in her, her choice of players you know I think we might see and we I know none of us like mixing up defenses um, but we might see different fullbacks we might see Rachel Daly in because she gives a little bit more up front in those kind of games whereas I think Demi Stokes is maybe more solid defensively if you're going to be coming up against tougher opposition so it makes it makes our jobs harder when we're trying to guess what teams are going to be put forward never mind formations um but I do think it's good that we have that flexibility in the team uh and yeah I think she probably thought you know Leo is in the squad as a defensive midfielder now if she's less comfortable in that position you've got yourself another defender so it does you know pose maybe some problems for people. I want to put you I want to put you on the spot Rachel I want to put you on the spot because you're just you're not even playing a flag in the sand you're sitting right on the fence <laughs> um obviously Williamson was listed as a midfielder in the squad list but that doesn't always mean much but I want to ask you where do you think she is best used right now is it in the center back partnership with Millie Bright or is it as a defensive midfielder Tell me, Rachel. I like her in the defensive midfield option because I like that Bright and Greenwood offer a lot from as a central partnership pairing. The balls that they can ping out to the wings are brilliant and there are times where our midfield is going to be stifled and you need that. Um, obviously, Leah Williamson is an excellent uh, passer of the ball as well. But what I like, we saw it a little bit with um, the Belgium game when Belgium were kind of smothering Kira Walsh a little bit. She was able to step back and help Walsh with defense, you know, defensively if need be, but she was also able to step forward and help Georgia Stanway when attacking. And I think it helped with that issue with the fact that Kira Walsh, because normally she's the playmaker, and if you stifle her, you're kind of stopping the ball going through the middle with England. So I think having Leah in that defensive midfield kind of makes it harder to stifle Kira Walsh because you've got someone else to deal with as well. So I really liked that. Um, when I've seen it across a couple of matches. But like I said, I don't think it's always going to work against every team necessarily. But that's where I like to see her play. I think um, it's the versatility of Leah. And I think, um, you know, whilst you've got, you know, Millie Bright being able to absolutely loft a ball 400,000 yards uh, across the pitch and sort of, you know, relieve the pressure. Um, you've also got Leah, who's, you know, one of her world-class assets is being able to thread a, a thread a ball through the lines. And, and I think that's going to be really critical because I think not only does she offer that pathway for, um, you know, whoever's jumping onto that, but also I think just being the captain having that captaincy experience I think she's been obviously a big part of the campaign uh, in the lead up to, to everything so I think people are going to expect her to be walking out onto that pitch and I, and I do agree that I think she would be a better asset maybe for the first game in that um, defensive midfield role um, and I do yeah I 100% think that you know Brighton Brighton Green would have been a, a great little combo um, and that for me I think if Serena is going to set up in a more attacking um, mindset which I think she would I, you know for me I think when you're looking at the analysis and looking at some of the, uh, the, the the friendlies that have taken place and you know those coaches are going to be the, the opposition coaches are going to be looking at how they've set up and maybe plan their strategy around the 4-2-3-1 because that's what they've been seeing but you know we've seen less of the 4-3-3 um, on occasion so I think that's going to be um, maybe how they start because I I would be you know where the host station where you know what this massive game 70,000 people and, and I don't think Serena's the kind of person who's going to start a game like that defensively yeah let's, let's put, put on a show I'm I'm ready. Hold up. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. That's one selection dilemma discussion ticked off. The next one, Frank Kirby, should she play in the 10? Um, I think at the media day, Rachel, um, so many players were asked where they think she plays best and all of them pretty much, I think, universally said the 10. Um, I think that is where Frank Kirby does play best, but we haven't seen that much of her in that position under Serena Beekman. She's played kind of all over that midfield and front three uh, since Beekman came in. Where do you think she should play? And I guess, where do you think she actually will play? Um, it's a, it is a tricky one. I think she should be played in her best position if you want to get the best out of her, which is the number 10. Um, but we've also seen the likes of Georgia Stanway play there. And we've had, I think Ella Toon has come in there sometimes. Um, so she has options. Um, I do wonder whether Stanway will start because she gives a little bit more physicality in a game. I think they want to start that game with a bang. Um, and I think that, like I said, want to make sure Austria on the back foot from the get-go. And I think Georgia Stanway helps with that because not in a negative way. She's quite an aggressive player. Like she likes to drive forward um, put in the tackles. Um, and I think what's great about England is that there's no dip when they make substitutions it's not like you have to things aren't going right we need to reach to our bench like the bench are assets massive massive assets and I think you could bring on a player like Fran Kirby for the last half an hour and she will just change the dynamic of a game Um, a lot of the players do that so I think you know it's really hard to decide whether she's going to start there or not but for me that's I probably based on what I've seen the last few games I probably maybe start with Stanway and bring on Fran Kirby but you know, Serena talks a lot about connections and relationships on the pitch between the players. And I think if Fran is playing in different places, it kind of makes it more difficult to have those connections. And we've seen how good she is in her partnership with Sam Kerr at club. When she's got that right partnership, she is lethal. So I think keeping her in the same position is probably more beneficial for England to allow her to establish those those connections on the pitch. Um, but yeah, I think I do think that's her best role number 10. Closer. Closer. Um, no, New I think, nickname um, just dropped. <laughs> That's weirdly my, uh, the, the nickname my girlfriend uses on me. So uh, thanks for that, Flo. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only person who's ever said that. <laughs> anyway, moving on. We digress. Um, no, I've got, no, I think I've got to agree. I think, um, you know, I've been really impressed with, with Kirby and sort of, you know, obviously it's no... Um, you know, everyone knows the kind of battles and things that she's been through on and off the pitch and for her to come back and sort of, you know, be a part of this tournament and, you know, to have started, you know, in a few of those friendly games has been absolutely key for us, I think. And she's been such a good attacking threat. And I think she is a very experienced player. And when you've got quite a few youngsters up front, you've got Hemp, you've got Kelly, uh, Russo as well. And I think um, she definitely adds to that that level of experience in our, in our attacking side. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if she starts, no. Well, Serena, if you're listening, um, we've given don't you Don't listen some... to us. Yeah, <laughs> we've you out. Don't worry um, about it. <laughs> you know what, though? I actually, I actually think that's one of her best assets is that she she doesn't listen to the media. I think the, the Phil, Phil Neville era was, was 
full of like quite tense moments back backs and forths about you know the media this typical thing we've always had with England with like the media being against the England manager and having some kind of agenda we've had it across the men's and women's teams and Phil Neville obviously how ha- I think having his experience playing with England men and everything that they've been through through major tournaments I think he came with that kind of sort of experience hanging over him like a shadow like everything was always almost viewed through that lens of oh you know the media they have an agenda with me they're 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 out to get me they want to get me sacked etc etc I think that's the best thing about Serena Beeman is because she's coming in blind she doesn't really have much experience of obviously working in English football which is you know pretty chaotic in, in, in itself but also she knows English football but she doesn't know how kind of messed up and bizarre that the game can be in the way obviously it works with journalists and things like that so I think because of that and because she's coming in blind she just kind of doesn't give a shit and you know she she'll she'll take your question about something and, and listen to your opinion but she'll just sort of dismiss it and say well it doesn't really matter whatever and I think we saw that with Steph right around when Steph was, was, was dropped from the squad she was like let's just talk about let's stop talking about Steph now in that squad announcement you know people kept asking her what about Steph what about Steph she said um, this is the last question I'm going to answer on that and let's just stop talking about her. So I think the way that she manages those debates and conversations about the squad selection is pretty good. The staff one was really frustrating because it was just the same question in like dressed up differently. Yeah, in people just rephrase it, it? <laughs> And like so a lot of the time managers won't call that out and she was like, she will. She'll say, I've already answered this question. Do you want me to give you an answer again in a different way? Like, I like that kind of sass because people are looking for headlines and that was, you know, people were watching this press conference live going, why the hell do they keep asking about Steph Horton? And the rest of us are like, can we please ask a different question? So that's annoying. But what, I think she's quite transparent when she's talking about what, she, post-match especially, what she's doing, what she thought, why she did this, why she did that. And I think that often helps a lot because... A lot of the times we've had in the past where managers won't be that upfront and transparent about what they were trying to do. If something went wrong, they kind of won't acknowledge that and they won't say it's because of this, it's something I did or the tactics I made. And that's what frustrates, I think, the media is like, well, we can all see what's going on. Why this was obviously an issue. Why can't we address it? And I think that's where you end up with that clash between media and managers is, you know, it's the kind of, you know, Phil Neville used to always say they played really well. And you're like, well, they've obviously had a, a horror. It was a horror show on the pitch. Like, it's been really defensively poor, whatever that might be. And trying to tell someone that it's, it was something different is very, very frustrating. And that's where you come up with that kind of clash. I don't think Beegman's like that. I don't think she's the kind of manager to try and, I guess trick you into saying that something else was happening on the pitch and you just didn't understand it which I quite like she's very forthright I think um, there's a part of me that feels like that she she created a different era in women's football in the Lionesses to what we saw previously and you know it was uh, you know I was horrified by the comments that you know Neville was making that towards the end of his um, sort of manager ship um, you know about it sort of being a bit of a, it felt like a stepping stone for him into you know into men's football and I think there was a real kind of sense that actually the media probably don't like him because a lot of people started not to like him because I don't think he achieved too much he seemed to sort of not like you said Rachel um, completely disregard what was happening on the pitch and it just felt like he it, that wasn't his priority that the, the team did become his priority and I feel like Serena really creates a sense of that's where she wants to be and you can see I mean she didn't have long to, to create the kind of transformation that she has into getting us prepared for the Euros and she's done it so I think she doesn't have the same level of criticism that, that Neville does because she's done a fantastic bloody job um, and there's I think sometimes it's um, she doesn't deserve 
much criticism, I think, um, up until this point. We'll, we'll wait and see how the tournament goes. But uh, but so far, I've been really impressed with her. I have a lot of respect for her. So, And I think the media seem to do too. Managers can be so like politicians in the way that they answer questions. You know, they're always trying to dodge a question or always trying to rephrase it or whatever and not actually answer what you're trying to ask. Um, let's look at Austria for a little bit because we've got to talk about um, who England are facing they got to the semi-finals of the last Euros, um, but I don't think many people are giving them much of a chance against England on Wednesday. Rachel, that's probably very naive on our part because these guys have good ped- pedigree in this to- tournament. Yeah, for sure. They shouldn't be underestimated. And I know we talked about the weather in that um, 1-0 uh, win for England back in, God, when was it? During this World Cup qualifying tournament. Um, There we go. Um, Yeah, they are are a strong squad. And like you say, they did get to the the semi-finals of the um, 2017 Euros, knocked out by Denmark. Um, They don't score a huge number of goals necessarily. I mean, unless they're kind of playing, you know, teams maybe a little bit lower down. I think sometimes England can be similar in that respect. Um, they most recent matches beat Belgium 1-0, um, beat Montenegro, lost to Denmark 2-1. Um, and then they drew and beat Northern Ireland in the World Cup qualifiers because obviously we haven't gotten enough of each other. We also have Northern Ireland and Austria in the World Cup qualifying group and in the Euros group. So we know each other quite well, or we think we do. Um, and I think that's really interesting going into a Euros having played two of the teams uh, well we haven't played Austria the second time but we've played Northern Ireland twice we've played Austria once in the last kind of space of the last year um, which is just like it makes you think maybe you know the team well but it also makes you think how much has been shown like how, how much are we really seeing um, what we can expect from Austria in in the World Cup qualifiers versus the Euros. So they've not played very strong opposition in the last year or so, but they've been in a good run of form. So that's going to be good for their confidence. Um, and there's a few notable names. We've got Manuela Zinsberger and uh, Weinrother both play at Arsenal. Um, Sinead back is captain. She plays for Tottenham. Um, and Nicole Billa has been very good up front. She plays for Hoffenheim this season. Um, 15 goals in 27 appearances. And in the, uh, that's league and Champions League. And last year, um, 23 goals in 20 appearances. So she can put the ball away. Um, and some people may remember Sarah Sadrazil's goal uh, against Chelsea in the Champions League semi-finals last year, um, she's in midfield for them. So there are some some strong players through that kind of spine of the team. Um, but I think what we saw when they played up north um, back in November, they'll be you know a defensive team, and I think they may look to kind of sit and absorb England's attacking players, especially in the first half. Yeah, and we saw them put Mary Earps under a fair amount of pressure as well. Actually, it was really the only real save she had to make in in England's very one-sided qualification campaign so far. Um, Rachel, you listed off so a lot of good names there. And I think, Chloe, goalkeepers union here, I think Austria defensively are so organised and so strong and are going to be really hard to break down. But it's going to be how that very robust defence manages to find any opportunity to hit Austria in the break. As a as a as the goalkeepers union obviously, how would you go about trying to marshal your Zinsberger, Schneiderbeck, Wienrother defensive unit? 
uh, get it the hell out of my box uh, would be my <laughs> first port of call. Um, <laughs> I think, um, I mean, it's difficult because there's such a strong attacking presence with England. And I think, um, you know, they're going to have seen how we play, how we set up, um, you know, obviously hemp on the on the wings. We've got, you know, great attacking presence in and around the box when those balls get delivered in. I mean, on the floor, overhead, um, you know, it, it's um, it's hard. I think it's going to be hard to play against. But, you know, for, for Zinsberger, I think, you know, she's a very experienced, uh, fantastic top level um, goalkeeper. And she's played in, you know, competitive environments like this before. So I think, you know, that's what you want at the back in tournaments like this. It's a strong, level-headed, experienced keeper who's willing to absolutely put a, put a rocket up your backside if you're not doing the, the right job at the right time and you know that's what we see with Zinsberger so you know we have seen a few errors um, a few sort of sloppy errors made from her every now and again but that just happens in keeping but I think that's what you want and I think um, you know both teams are going to be going up against it and for me you know when there are massive periods of, of pressure and you're coming under the caution coming under loads of waves of attacks what you want to see is that other players you know midfielders will step in and start to take the pressure off and you know even take the ball further up the field just to give you a bit of a breather so I think for me as a goalkeeper you'd be thinking about what are you saying communication wise to, to manage the game in periods of, of attack and when it's maybe slightly quieter so that's that's where sort of you know that's what you'd expect from your, your goalkeeper to kind of help manage um, from the back where you can yeah it'll be interesting to see how it goes down um, look we obviously got very excited on the last episode and I think as a culture and um, as as football fans, English football fans have a tendency to go overexcited and silly. No, uh, part of it, no. I think, part of it, is, I think, is is irony and it's meant tongue in cheek. And then part of it is actually like serious expectation. Um, but reality and expectation are often quite far apart in English football history. But there very is a very good chance so. that this <laughs> there is there is a very good chance this English team could win the tournament. But the million dollar question, Rachel, is can they handle some of that pressure that is going to come with playing in a home tournament in front of sellout crowds, in front of a national media who I don't think is yet to reach the, the buzz. I, I would like to see a little bit more buzz on TV and radio at the moment, but it's building. And, you know, we saw Chloe mention those Nike projections and all that kind of stuff. Can England handle the spotlight in the next couple of weeks? I think they're probably in the best position to do so. I think the FA going out and getting a Euros winning manager, a manager who's won the Euros on home soil, was a great, great um, thing to do. You know, if you're going to get someone in who's been there, done that, kind of knows what to expect, Serena Wiegmann is the perfect choice for that. That will be a huge benefit. I don't think anything really prepares you for <clears throat> a home tournament. I think women's football is in also quite a unique place when you compare it to the men's game in that every tournament is bigger and better. So every tournament has more scrutiny, more eyes, more media. So, you know, you can look at a previous tournament and say, how did we handle that? It's it's another level the next, next year around or the next couple of years around. That's one side of it. Um, and I do think especially here in England, there is always this thing of you're kind of holding the weight of women's football on your shoulders. If you don't do well, that's why women shouldn't play football. And I'm just hoping that they can, you know, I hope, I think a lot of players do now. They just put that to the side. They don't think about something like that, but they're, they're the kind of comments you just know are going to come 
Um, so I, you know, especially around the likes of social media, the, they've spoken about the strategies they have in place to deal with that. I think Rachel Daly tweeted yesterday or maybe today saying tournament starts this week. Uh, so I'm going to be coming off social media um, just the best way for me to manage it. Any posts that go out will be, be done by someone else, but I'll be back after the tournament. Can't wait to chat to you guys. And I think there will definitely be a level of autonomy in the way that they choose to engage with fans or if they choose to engage with fans during the tournament. Um, but there will there, the FA will have a, a bubble around them. I think they will really try and protect them from that because they know what the media is like, particularly in this country around football and major tournaments. So... Um, I don't think anything could quite prepare you for it, but I think they're probably as well prepared as they can be. I think um, it's a lot. It's definitely a lot. Um, I think in terms of, you know, obviously the build up to the tournament has been huge. It's been, you know, a couple of years in the running now and a lot of the campaigns seem to focus on this um, sense of legacy and, you know, what is the, what's the, the tournament going to do for women's football, like you said, Rachel, and, you know, how, how is this going to change things? And um, I think it's the expectation, I think, that if we go on to, to win this tournament, then it sort of, it changes everything. And if we don't win this tournament, then it's going to mean this kind of downward trend in women's football and everyone's just going to fall out of love with the game and that's going to be it. Um, so I think um, it's, I, I agree I think the players should come off social media because it's not you know the weight of women's football doesn't rest on solely their their hands and how they do in this tournament it's um, a factor of so Amen. many other things um, so um, yeah I mean whatever the players achieve essentially you know get into this tournament the buzz around it you know the, the even just the lead up to the tournament and what's it what, it, what it's achieved I think has been huge in sort of creating that visibility and awareness so regardless of how we do like I'll be proud of them um, you know however as long as they put their heart and soul into it and I and I believe they will. So, Aww. yeah, that's so beautiful. Come on, guys, that Love was very you. sweet. Like a proud, like a proud mum. That was very sweet. I mean, I won't be proud. Yeah. I'm bitterly disappointed for a very long time. Like right. I was after <laughs> England lost to USA Just take the in down. the Euros <laughs> in Lyon. No, it was. No, no, I'll be very happy, but oh, I just want to win something, man. Like I just want to win something, <laughs> please. <laughs> Anyway, I um, do think the tournament will be great. I do think there's going to be great football on display. Um, you know, I don't want to think about a tournament where England doesn't go far in it. Um, but I do think, like you say, Chloe, the way to women's football doesn't hang on this. And it's going to be a really no. enjoyable three weeks with incredible talent up and down the country playing great matches. And, you know, that's what I'm really looking forward to. And obviously, England going as far as bloody possible is the dream. We're so close. We're so close. This time tomorrow, well, I mean, Chloe's already there. She's already in Manchester. But this time tomorrow, um, I'm sure lots of you listening will be in Manchester. I'll be in Manchester. Rachel will be in Manchester. And we'll actually be able to finally watch this tournament get underway. Um, that is it for today's episode of Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. Join us on Thursday, the morning after the game, where we might be a little bit hungover, a little bit sleepy, but we're going to be reacting to England versus Austria from Manchester. And remember as well, we're going to be here three times a week throughout the tournament so make sure you're subscribed to Football Ramble Presents so you don't miss an episode and we're also going to be dropping in on the Football Ramble feed with every post England show including Thursday so if you're all about the Lionesses you'll be able to find us there too but in the meantime if you've got any questions tweet us at Football Ramble at Floyd Tweet for myself, at Girls on the Ball for Rachel in the van, or at Morgie underscore 89 and we will see you all on Thursday. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.